This is the Lunduke Journal podcast for Sunday, July 21st, no, 24th in the year of our Lord, 2022. Every Sunday here, going forward, what we do at the Lunduke Journal is we talk about the news, the news of the week. And I'm not talking boring, enterprisey news like like uh, IBM just recently released their their new cloud container initiative, says one IBM executive, this middle out, blah, 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 blah. We don't do that garbage, right? We also don't cover politics. We don't cover the latest release of a brand new iPod that looks roughly, <laughs> iPod, they don't even make those anymore. Let's go iPad. The new iPad that looks the same as the old iPad, except it's slightly faster and slightly newer and runs slightly different, whatever. We don't do that. We're talking interesting news, real news, news about Linux, news about alternative operating systems, news about retro computing. And you're thinking to yourself, retro computing news, that's like 14 different oxymorons wrapped inside an enigma. No, there's always something happening in the retro computing world of new software, new hardware, new things that are occurring that just change the world. World, at least as far as people who are <laughs> into that sort of thing, which I am. So what we do is the weekends are all about the wrap up of the news for the week, because throughout the week, the articles and the podcast in the Lunduke Journal aren't typically about the news, right? We talk about history and and funny satire pieces and all sorts of stuff, but not the news. So then the weekend is for the news. So let's get caught up right now of the news that we consider to be not just important, but fun in those categories. All right, the first one is we're going to talk about Xbox Live 1.0. So you guys remember back when Microsoft shipped the very first Xbox and turned on Xbox Live, that first iteration of it, right, the old thing. Well, that's been offline. That's been offline for, shoot, 14 years, 15 years, something like that. And now, now, they've got a cool group of people. What, what, what are they called here? Hold on, let me bring this up here so I can get their name correct. Um, don't. Yes, I agree to all of the cookies that you want me to agree to, website. Holy heavens. Uh, the Project Insignia, that's what it's called. Project Insignia. It, this team, just as a casual project, is recreating the Xbox Live 1.0 servers, which means if you have a first-generation Xbox with a whole bunch of games, soon you will be able to play those games on Xbox Live again. It's currently in closed alpha testing, but they have 13 games currently functional. Uh, Counter-Strike, Dead or Alive Ultimatum, or Ultimate, Mech Assault, Midtown Madness, MotoGP, Fantasy Star Online, Star Wars Jedi Academy, Street Fighter Anniversary Collection, Unreal Championship, the Xbox Live Arcade, and a bunch of other ones. Extremely cool. They do not have a date for when the public beta of this service will be available. However, it looks like it is progressing really quickly because they've got 13 games that are playable and functional right now. This is super cool to me. I, I love this so much because I hate it when you've got these systems that get prematurely killed. <clears throat> you know what I mean? 
Like recently, Nintendo killed off the online store and everything for the Nintendo 3DS because they have the Switch out now. So why do they care about the 3DS anymore? So so the heck with you. You don't get a 3DS online store and all that stuff anymore. They just killed it, right? And I understand from a business decision why you'd have diminishing returns. And so therefore, you just don't have the, the money and the monetary incentive to keep these servers up and operational. I get that. From a practical perspective, I get that. But from a user's perspective, from a gamer's perspective, it sucks so much to have be invested in hardware and software and games and just a, a, a usability pattern, a workflow that you've just enjoyed and you were immersed in, to have it just ripped away from you stinks. That's why I love these projects like like the re-AOL project where they're rebuilding the America Online servers, or the Prodigy Preservation project where they're, where they're trying to make it so you could use Prodigy again. Or this, the, again, what was it? Insignia. The Insignia group recreating Xbox Live 1.0. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? That's just cool. I'm sorry, that's cool. And if you don't think that's cool... You're not cool. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> uh, rule number 107, always make sure you insult your audience. That's that's what you got to do there. Uh, the second news item of the week. This one is really cool. Do you remember? Uh, this was uh, a couple of weeks back, a couple of months back. A developer found a copy of Lotus 123 for Unix. So Lotus 123, the, the famous old spreadsheet software, right? ran in the terminal, there was a Unix version that was made. They found that version and managed to tweak it, patch it ever so gently and make it run on Linux natively. I mean, which is amazing. That's amazing, right? I mean, that's a, that's a feat of hardware and software sorcery. I love that. Well, now that same guy... <laughs> who I got to give credit to, is a committed gentleman, found the Unix version of WordPerfect and gave it the exact same treatment. You can now get the WordPerfect version for, for Unix running natively on Linux in your terminal. This is real. He's got a GitHub page up for it and everything with all the patches that you got to apply to it and whatnot. And uh, there's screenshots up of it and running on Ubuntu. I mean, how how old? I mean, we're perfect for Unix. I mean, we're talking twenty seven years old, something like that. I some some ballpark. I don't have it in front of me, but I mean, that's old. And they managed to get it from it for a different operating system, and now it's running. It's it's running on Linux. That's awesome. So now you literally can in your Linux terminal run WordPerfect and Lotus one two three. That's awesome. I'm sorry. That's crazy, crazy awesome. Let me let me pull up the uh, uh, the GitHub page here. Uh, so it was released. Oh, oh heaven! Uh, it was even more than I thought. It was released in 1997. This version of WordPerfect for Unix, which makes it 432 years old. Uh, it's got all the details on how to build it. Um, you've got, it, it works. It totally works. There's screenshots of it and it, it totally works. I am blown away by this. <clears throat> I mean, I mean, this is impressive. This is deeply, deeply impressive. There has everything that it had works and you can get it and, and, and rock out. I, 
I need to try this. I need to sit down and and see about this and, and kind of add this to my personal command line collection because I love living in the terminal and there's some really great pieces of software in the terminal for these sorts of things like like uh, word grinder an amazing word processor but as much as I love word grinder it it is not word perfect word perfect is it is the king of word processors. I mean, it is beautiful. I love WordPerfect so much. And I, shoot, this might become one of my de facto uh, word processors now. Absolutely love it. Absolutely love this. This is just, this is just the coolest thing. Um, all right, all right, all right, all right. Let's change gears a little bit. Lego has announced an, an Atari 2600 Lego set. <laughs> it, it looks so cool. <laughs> Oh, let me bring it up here. Uh, yes, I accept all of your cookies website. Yes, all of your cookies. Give me thousands of cookies website. Thank you, lego.com. $239.99. It comes with uh, how many pieces? 2,532 pieces. Now, I'm, I'm sorry. You couldn't have thrown in 68 more pieces to have an, an even 2,600 pieces and have it 2,600 pieces for the Atari 2600. I appreciate, I deeply appreciate that it's close to 2,600. I do, but come on, it was so close. You couldn't have just come up with like a couple more just fun little doodads to throw in there. You, This was a missed opportunity for awesomeness. Now, what's cool about this is... It has the it has the the Atari twenty six hundred. It has uh, uh, functional switches, and by functional switches, I mean switches that move. Right? It's not it's not a it's not an actual game system. <laughs> it just right. It's just not. How cool would that be though? To take this and put inside of it like a Raspberry Pi Zero with like video out, so you could actually emulate an Atari twenty six hundred inside of a Lego Atari twenty six hundred. I mean that's cool. But it's also got cartridges. Um, several cartridges. Which ones are they here? Let me, let me see if I can look at it here. It looks like it's, uh, it's, uh, asteroids. It is adventure and it is uh centipede, which I mean, good games, good choices. I mean, would I have gone with slightly different games? Perhaps, perhaps some of them, but those are still quite cool. Also the front panel pops off and inside of it is like this little diorama of a of a kid sitting on the floor with a CRT in front of him in like a 1980s early 1980s wood paneled room playing a 2600. So a little mini diorama inside the 2600 that pops out when you pop the top off. And this is the wood grain 2600, right? So the the 1982 variant, I think. I think it was the the second variant of it. Uh, yeah, Asteroids, Adventure, and Centipede, and it has little 3D vignettes for all three of those games, right? And the 3D vignettes look cool. I mean, the, the th they, they do. They look really cute, um, but that's not what does it. It's got the joystick, the classic 2600 joystick, the three cartridges, uh, a little nightstand thing <laughs> that you can <laughs> you would, in theory, hold your games in. It just looks great. It looks great. And I, I want one very badly. It starts shipping in uh, August, August 1st. So shoot, it starts shipping in like a like a week from now. 
Oh man, it looks so great. I, the wood grain is just so choice. Oh, it's so, 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 so choice. But seriously, it, this is like it's begging to have a Pi Zero put inside of it. <laughs> I love, I used to do that with, with my Raspberry Pis, right? Like I, I bought a few cases for it over the years, my raspberry, various Raspberry Pis, like the original ones. But then I found online a uh, instructions for building your own Lego-based Raspberry Pi case. So I went down to the Lego store, and then I started scouring through my bins until I found all the right pieces, and uh, I built it, and it was amazing. Because <laughs> then I could customize it and build little things on top of it. It was so cool. So I'm a big fan of combining Lego with Raspberry Pis as is. And I'm sorry, Natari 2600... There's got to be some room in there for a Pi Zero. Those things are super tiny. Uh, that it, That's just brilliant. That just has to happen. It has to happen. Someone needs to do this for me. <laughs> just so I can see it. Um, all right. And then, and then the final story is a weird story. Um, do you remember? Do you remember when Debian had a version of Firefox, right? But a patched version of Firefox that they were shipping with Debian. And the Mozilla Corporation... The half billion dollars per year mega corporation behind Firefox uh, threw a little hissy fit about that because it wasn't technically exactly the same as shipped from Mozilla. So it couldn't use the name and the iconography of Firefox, right? Because it was as trademarked and copyrighted. So Debian changed the name of their version of Firefox right? Their slightly patched version of Firefox became Ice Weasel. So Ice Weasel instead of Firefox, which I thought was a great name. <laughs> I mean, that's a good, good sticking your nose up to, to Mozilla on that one. I always love that. That's what they've had to ship, right? Well, now there's something similar going on with Rust. Let me read some of this to you because it's it's fascinating. Um, all right, so Debian bug report logs. Uh, Debian violating Rust trademark, in parentheses, as serious a situation as Ice Weasel. Um, and then they and they point to this because Debian is shipping a uh, a version of of Rust um, and Cargo from the Rust team that uh, is slightly modified. Now Rust is trademarked and copyrighted. So technically, technically, they can't ship that because at least not with that name. This is fascinating to me. Um, and then this comes from the uh, uh, the uh, mailing list, the bugs.debian mailing list. This is an extremely serious situation that exposes Debian to a greater level of risk that was undergone for the last Mozilla Foundation trademark fiasco, Ice Weasel. Rust's trademark requirements are that, quote, you must seek our explicit permission before distributing patches. Users that require explicit approval, uh, distributing a modified version of the Rust programming language or the Cargo package manager and calling it Rust or Cargo requires explicit written permission from the Rust core team. Um... <laughs> there are dozens of such patches. Every single one of them, unless explicit permission has been sought, is a direct trademark violation. Okay. 
Now, the 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 argument here is that this effectively makes it so that, well, really, Rust is not free software. No, and and uh, there is a, a good a good argument to be made there. Now, um, now Debian could seek permission from the Rust core team uh, to still call it Rust, and the Rust core team may say yes. Um, they may Debian may, however, choose to name it something else instead of Rust, call it I don't know. Uh, broken pointy metal or something, right? Who, who knows? Decomposing aluminum can. I don't know what they'll call it, but they could call it something else and they could get around that. But this does bring up another kind of interesting thought. And this was something that, that was mentioned by one of the community members over on Locals, over uh, lunduke.locals.com. And, and this is something that kind of came to my mind as well. So I'm, I'm glad I'm not, I'm not thinking crazy here, but, uh, you remember when Linus announced at, at the open source summit earlier this year, that rust support was coming to the Linux kernel. We now may be in a scenario where building the Linux kernel could soon require rust but Rust won't be free software and may not be allowed to ship with Debian. <laughs> Arguably one of the most critical versions of Linux that exists. I mean, because everything, half of all the Linux distros are based in some point on Debian. How Ubuntu is basically Debian plus some stuff. And now, now... Linux might be requiring non-free software in order to compile Linux. Fascinating. That's a fascinating scenario that might crop up. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, it's. I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say Rust is as non-free as, say, you know, um, you know, Visual Basic or or uh, or, or some other. Uh, some other programming language. Well, I can't actually think of an example right now. <laughs> now that's less not that's more non-free than that. Um, but uh, it seems strange, right? Like it it seems weird. This raises red flags. And what's what's bothering me about it is that I can see potential practical issues here, right? Um, licensing issues, um, ability to build the Linux kernel in certain things that uh, will that you can't really ship uh, with Rust. Like there could be a situation we could literally be at a situation where, say, Triskel, um, a Linux distribution that holds hard to, to free software ideals and Creative Commons ideals, won't be willing to ship Rust, but then can't build Linux upon which it is based. Which means it wouldn't be able to compile new patches for itself, which means it could no longer be able to be self-hosting. Um, those sorts of issues could crop up. It won't affect every distribution. It may not even affect most distributions, but it's a strange one nonetheless. In fact, this whole thing kind of raises red flags that I don't even myself understand. Like, you hear this news story and you go, huh, Hold on a minute. 
maybe some sane heads should sit down and think about what this means. Like this, this seems like one of those things that shouldn't be an issue, but is. And it, my guess, I think there's there's a couple ways this plays out. One is that the Rust Core team decides to drop that requirement and just say, you know what, go ahead, it's Rust, call it Rust, it's Rust, ship Rust, even if you have patches applied to it. Okay, I think that's one very reasonable approach, um, and I think that's that should be probably what happens here. Um, the other one is that uh, Debian just goes ahead and ships with the patches uh, and calls it something different. Um, uh, dirty metal found in ground, the compiler, <laughs> or something, right? Something that still is compatible with the main upstream project, uh, but maybe has a security patch or something applied to it. Okay, okay, fine, fine, no, no problem there. Um, and then everyone just is somehow going to be okay with that. Um, but I see that scenario causing potential issues. I, I don't know. Um, I, this is not a doom and gloom sort of scenario, not by a long shot, but it's very weird. And that's why I included it here in this week's news, because it's just such a absolutely bizarre, bizarre thing. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's just strange. I'm sorry. It's just, it's just really strange. I, I don't understand. I guess I do understand why Mozilla doesn't want people tweaking or modifying Firefox and still calling it Firefox. I get that. Is it weird that they try to pretentiously claim, even though it's not, that it's open source or free software? Because it's not. It has a bunch of closed source software in it. Um, yeah, that's weird. Um, but I understand them wanting to protect their image and copyrights and trademarks and all that. And I guess the same is true of Rust. But when we're talking about a programming language, especially one that is being considered for the absolute lowest level of, of, pro of our operating systems, the kernel itself... Uh, I don't like that. That seems funky and that makes me feel yucky inside. Um, that's just my personal thoughts. Um, uh, <laughs> what's, what's funny is I also did, I had a satire piece on, uh, uh, uh early this week on Tuesday. Linus Torvald says VBA coming to Linux kernel quote, like right away. I'm just going to read you a little bit of this uh, because it made me happy. Uh, at a recent Linux Foundation event, Linus Torvalds announced to an excited crowd that full support for Visual Basics for Applications, or known as VBA, would be merged into the mainline Linux kernel like, quote, right away. Quote, the ability to create Linux kernel core features using Visual Basic for Applications has been the number one feature request for G's like forever, stated the Linux creator. I mean, who doesn't want to turn a Microsoft Excel macro into a kernel module? end quote. Uh, quote, this was always the plan for VBA right from the start, stated Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella. When VBA was first created way back in 1993, the entire goal was to, was to use it for enhancing the Linux kernel, which wasn't even at version 1.0 yet. That's how much Microsoft has always loved Linux and open source. You're welcome, end quote. One Linux kernel developer speaking to the Lunduke Journal expressed excitement at the prospect. Quote, I can't tell you how many hours I've spent writing code in the Linux kernel that sets the value of the cells in a column. 
Now I can do a simple range a1.value equals 1 right in the kernel. Finally, the way it was meant to be. I love that I got to add in actual VBA code uh, to a satire article. That's a, that's a bucket list item right there. Quote, this is way better than that rust junk, stated another kernel contributor. Any chance I have at making fun of rust, I always take it. Not because rust is a bad programming language, but because it's fun to make fun of. Uh, but not everyone was happy about the upcoming addition to the kernel. Some Linux enthusiasts took to Twitter to voice their displeasure with the idea. One such comment resulted in the following Twitter exchange. Uh, Joe the Arch Guy says, What next? ActiveX and DLL in the Linux kernel? This is madness! Sachi Nadella replied, Hey, that's not a bad idea. Yo, Leonard! Peep this rad idea. Leonard Pottering replies, on it. Hey, Linux Foundation, pull request heading your way. Linux Foundation replied, by your command. Merged for next release. Joe the Arch Guy replies with crying emojis. Yeah, so I just thought this was good timing. Um, obviously, Rust and VBA are not, <laughs> not the same thing. <laughs> um, anyway, um... So anyway, th this is the end of the first week of the new schedule of content that comes out for the Linux Journal. Or for the Linux Journal. Holy heavens. Blast from the past! Uh, I used to be the uh, deputy editor of Linux Journal magazine, and I don't know. <laughs> Every now and then I trip up a little bit. I've actually published one or two articles where I've referenced the Lunduk Journal as the Linux Journal. And I had to go back and edit that really quick. I'm like, oh, shoot. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but anyway, so this is the end of the first week of, of content using the new, new content schedule. And how it works is, uh, is thus, is thusly. On Monday, we have a history article. And this week it was uh, about Trafo Data, the company before Microsoft. So this was uh, uh, Bill Gates's and Paul Allen's first company uh, back when Bill Gates was still in high school was Trafo Data. And I have a, a, a history article uh, on that there. And then I have that, that Torvalds uh, puts VBA in the Linux kernel satire piece. So then Tuesdays, after you've had some history, Tuesdays you get to laugh, a little bit of a satire piece. Wednesdays you get the Lunduk Journal podcast, the exclusive version. So here's the thing. Uh, most everything is free for everybody, right? Uh, um, but there's, there's two articles or two things during the week, one article and one podcast that are subscriber exclusive. So you have to be a subscriber. Um, just because you got to keep the lights on somehow. And that's that's how we choose to do it. So uh, the Monday article and the Tuesday article, that history, that satire, free for everyone. Um, and then Wednesday is the podcast. This week it was about preserving online services of the past. We talk about that a fair bit. Uh, and that one was an exclusive one just for subscribers. Uh, what you could subscribe on Patreon, Locals, or or Substack. It's the same across the board. You get the same podcast everywhere. And then Thursday is another history piece. Because when I asked all of you, what do you enjoy? All but four people were like, I like the historical articles. <laughs> It was overwhelming more than anything. So I'm like, you know what? I love the historical articles too. So Thursdays, you get another history piece. And this one was on the Canon AS100 computer from 1982. Now I did this one on a specific computer because it's such a funky machine. It's got this, it doesn't have a mouse. It has a jog dialer, 
which is totally cool. And it's got uh, eight inch and five and a quarter inch floppy disks and these cool hard drive enclosures that they all sit off to the side of the monitor and the monitor looks really cool. It's got these great switches on it. It's a cool machine. And so I talked about that at some length, lots of pictures and advertisements and all that. That was on Thursday. And then on Friday, it's grab bag day, right? Whatever comes to mind. Uh, it could be a cool terminal application, could be a review of a piece of hardware, could be anything. This week, it was funny programming pictures part 12. <laughs> it was good. There was some good stuff. And then, of course, Saturday is Linux alternative OS and retro computing news, which we talked about here today. And then Ta-da! Sunday is the podcast on that topic. So there you go. That is the full week of the new Lunduke Journal schedule. And I've got to tell you, I love it. I absolutely love it. It seems like it seems like almost all of you are super psyched about it. All of the articles and podcasts, they all drop every time, every day. Something new pops out at boom, 8 a.m. Central. Every day. Boom, like clockwork, you get something new from the Lunduke Journal every day, Monday through, well, Monday, every single day, all every day of the week. And I, I, I think that sort of uh, consistency is nice. But what's really great is for me, because not some of these pieces are a little more timely, right? But a lot of them I can work on and spend that extra time on because I'm putting out one big thing every day. And some days, some days, you know, they they require more work than others. Some of the historical articles take a huge amount of time to do right. And so I, I work on them and for some cases for weeks ahead of time, schedule it and it's ready to go, which means I get to have a easier to schedule personal life. And that is a great thing for me and for my family. It's just, this is a win-win all the way around. It is absolutely fantastic. Um, I've mentioned this a few times. I, I want to make sure I mention it one more time. This next Saturday, so Saturday, uh, July 30th at 3 p.m. Central Time, we are doing the first ever call-in show. And I am so excited about it because up until now, I typically take questions from all of you in written form and then reply to them. I'll read your questions in a podcast and then talk about them. Now, for the first time in human history, we can all get together and have a conversation. You guys get to talk to me, ask questions to me directly. I can I can respond to you and you can respond back to me. It's an actual call-in show. It's like a it's a call-in radio show done over the internet, Lunduke style. And I am really looking forward to it. Now this we're going forward, we may switch up the mechanism we use to handle the call-ins, but we've got it all set and locked in for this coming Saturday at again 3 p.m. Central. July 30th. But because this is the first time doing it, and this might stay this way for at least quite some time, I don't know if it'll ever change. I'm not sure yet. But to make it manageable, to make it so I'm not just flooded by hundreds, if not thousands of people, um, because I'm doing this all solo, it's only 
for the live show for founding members. Um, I, I sh- this is not a sales pitch. This is just letting everyone know if you're already a founding member subscriber, you will get an email right before the show uh, sometime that morning, uh, the morning of the 30th, with uh, the link to go to join the chat. Um, it'll be a video chat that you'll be able to, you know, see me and all that sort of thing. Your video uh, will not need to be used. Uh, you can have your video turned on and I'll be able to see you. But in the show itself, people will only hear you, which means that you can wear your pajamas. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> you can be in a messy room. You can wear your pajamas. It'll be just fine. Um, and I'm going to get to as many of you as I can. Obviously, it's a call-in show. Only so many people will be able to get in. Uh, we're going to have a method by which you uh, declare what you'd like to talk about. I will uh, bring you on one at a time. We'll talk about your topics. Um, if some of you have a response to someone else's topic that gets brought up, we'll bring those on. It'd be a full-on call-in radio-style show. Um, uh, right now, I'm planning to have it be a total of two hours long, broken into two one-hour segments. That's the plan right now. We'll see how that goes. Uh, it might get modified. It might end up being just one hour, but we're that's the plan right now. Um, and again, founding members only. So if you want to join in the show, you got to become a founding member before then. Uh, if you're already a founding member, you're good to go. You'll get notified with all the details of how to join and, you know, prepare something ahead of time if you want. Or just, you know, talk about news items. Talk about uh, my opinions on things, of how I'd want to do things. Um, uh, whatever. Whatever it is you want to talk about. Uh, my, my rules of the show are pretty straightforward. We keep it family-friendly at all times. Uh, you've got to be comfortable watching it with your kids. Um, if you if you break the fr- family-friendly rule, you will not be able to join that show going forward. So keep it keep it clean. Um, keep the topics clean. Keep the language clean. That's 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 my really only requirement. Now the show itself will be released, and and other people will have the chance to to watch the, to listen to this show. Uh, I think that the show will come out the following Wednesday. And while the Wednesday show is typically a subscriber exclusive show, that one I'm going to make free for everybody because I want everyone to, to see what the call in is like. And, and I might just make the call in show free for everyone going forward. Um, and then maybe we'll just do these shows uh, maybe once a month, uh, we'll kind of, we'll kind of figure that out from there. You'll tell me what you thought of it, what you liked about it. I'll tell you, we'll see what the results are and we'll go from there. But I'm kind of planning at least tentatively of doing these every month because it sounds like a lot of fun. I love the interaction, the back and forth with people. So let's, uh, let's give that a whirl. Um, all right, everyone. That's, that's the, that's the gist of it. That's the news for the week. That's everything that's going on here at the Lunduke journal. I want to say thank you to all of the subscribers, the new subscribers, the old subscribers. You guys are great. Uh, I, I couldn't do what I do without you. Uh, it, you, it warms my heart and makes me just filled with, prideful joy (laughs) i'd like to tell you that it makes me so humbled when everyone subscribes to the lunduk journal but you know what it doesn't it makes my head get so big my ego gets huge i i just i have such a it makes me feel so great like uh, 
<laughs> I always find that funny. Like, uh, like, like people are like, thank you to the million of people that purchased my, my book. It makes me feel so humble, uh, that you million people purchased my book. No, no, no. It makes them feel great. A million people just bought their book. They feel great about themselves right now. I, I don't, I don't get that anyway. Uh, but you guys, uh, seriously, I could not do this without you. I'm incredibly thankful. I'm also oh humbled. <laughs> I'm incredibly grateful to all of you. I literally, uh, you are the best group of nerds that, uh, that exist on planet earth. You are the best. Uh, and to all of those who are new around here, welcome, welcome to the joy that is the Lunduke journal and the Lunduke journal community. Uh, over, we, we hang out mostly over at lunduke.locals.com. That's kind of like the hangout spot. Um, and then most of the articles go up over at lunduke.substack.com. Uh, some folks, uh, there's a couple hundred folks that hang out over at, uh, the patreon.com side of things. You can subscribe to any of those sites, whatever. It's fine. Um, uh, you pick your poison on, on online services. Use which one you like most to subscribe. Most, most people choose Substack, Um, but, uh, but, uh, there's quite a few folks over at Patreon and, and locals and, uh, uh, we hang out mostly at locals. All right. I hope you all got to have a great, great weekend with your family, with your friends, with your toys, with your computers, with your cool TV shows, with your comic books and whatever. Whatever makes you happy in life, I hope you got to do that this weekend. And I hope you have a big, nerdy week ahead of you. I will do my very best to fill it with history and funny stuff and and all the great stuff that, that you guys deserve to have in your life. I'll, I'll give it my best shot. All right, everybody. I love y'all. You're the best nerds I could ask for. And I will talk to you a little bit later.